This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and happy spring. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. The week began with the launch of the provincial COVID-19 vaccine booking portal for people 80 plus, along with candidates from other priority groups. Other than a few technical issues, the system appears to have been working well. And yesterday, the premier announced that starting this Monday, Ontario residents between 75 and 79 may start to book their COVID vaccine appointments. There is also a call center, which General Rick Hillier says is totally staffed up. But a lot of callers have been met with a busy signal, especially on the first day. Libby Snymer spoke with our Zoomer squad about the launch just a few hours after the system was up and running. Bill Van Gorder is Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. He was on the line from Nova Scotia. Peter Mugridge is Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. And David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. I went on to the site and got a wait time. Uh, now, this is about an hour ago, an hour and a bit ago. I got an immediate message saying that I number... Uh, there was a big number, over 100,000 in the queue, but that there were only, um, I think it was like 3,000 or some odd ahead of me. And my wait time to actually be able to go ahead and do the booking was 11 minutes. And I, that didn't seem to me to be that, um, you know, crazy bad at the time. And it was in the prompt, you know, you got the message right away. Here's where you are. Here's the queue. Here's how long you have to wait. Uh, yeah, to me, 11 minutes sounds fine. I've waited longer than 11 minutes for other kinds of customer service. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess it just depends on the luck of the draw of when you call. Now, David, it, to get that far, what information did you have to put in? All I had to do was indicate that I was uh, uh, born in 1941. I'm not, I'm not 80, but we're just testing <laughs> okay, it. I, no. I didn't move ahead to actually do a booking. I didn't want to tie up the actual... Um, you know, anybody else in the queue. But I just had to say that I have a green health card with my picture on it, which I do, and that I'm over 80, that I have an email address, and that I have a browser. There was a, there was, I forget what it was. There was, if you have a very old uh, version of your browser, um, it, it may not be able to handle it. But uh, I, I was clear. I, yes, 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 click. And then I saw my wait time right away. Okay. Peter, uh, what's your take on the wait times and the booking and all of that? I was a little bit skeptical, thinking the the site would crash immediately. I I think you were too. (laughs) But um, this is good news. This is really good news. And... um, you know, it, it's it's a good test run for when when the larger population uh, starts booking. I, I think that'll be sometime in April. But um, so this is a good test run, and and eleven minutes sounds good. And uh, you know, let's hope it, it keeps rolling out this way. 
Uh, yeah, um, I was surprised, and and you you know I was spe- skeptical, and I threw yeah. threw out an unanswered challenge to the premier and the health minister, saying, "If you want to bet for your favorite charity or mine, you know I'm I'm willing to put down some serious coin, because <laughs> uh, because my thinking is I'm pretty sure that site's going to crash no matter what, and um, you know too bad they didn't take me up on it because uh, as of now." I would have been the one donating to their charity That's and right. not the other way around. <laughs> right. I'm but wondering we'll, though. If we'll have to wait till the, till the you know the the, yeah. the mass population starts signing up to see whether it can hold that. Also, yeah. what are they giving you? Like, if you do go ahead and book, um, how long? When is that booking? Where do you have to go? I, I'm sure they have it all figured out. I'm not trying to be critical, but to really complete the analysis, we'd have to hear from some people who who successfully booked it, and when can they actually get their shot uh, relative to today? Bill Van Gorder, are you with us? I am, yes. How's it going over there in terms of people who are over 80, or what age group is Nova Scotia? Right, well, I think it it is over 80, and and I've been tracking it across the the country, in in course, in provinces other than Ontario, and uh, David's right. Uh, We're doing better in Ontario than... uh, most of the other provinces, and actually the startup uh, today seems to have been uh, less of a problem than in most of the other uh, provinces where people seem to be getting uh, getting through. So I think this uh, augurs well for the for the future in Ontario uh, if we get the va- if we get the vaccine. What we're looking at is how easy is it for people to either phone or go online, get an appointment when they're uh, available. And Ontario seems to be doing as well as anyone at the moment. Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. And David Kravitz, Chief Marketing Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media. Fight Back's Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Even as the provincial COVID vaccine booking portal was opening on Monday, one in three Ontario residents 80 and over had already received their first dose, either in long-term care homes, hospitals, or in vaccine clinics in some of the province's 34 public health units. Passover and Easter are coming up soon, and understandably, people are anxious to see their children and grandchildren. Under what conditions is that safe? And what are family doctors trying to do for their patients? Fight Back went to epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Sly at Ryerson University and Dr. Robert Kingstone of Forest Hill Family Health. My understanding as a family doctor, I am not a specialist in any field of virology or toxicology or what have you. Obviously, the COVID virus has been around for just a little over a year. And miracle upon miracle, we have a vaccine in such a short period of time. And it's an effective vaccine. And as we know more about the vaccine and its effectiveness and its antibody longevity, et cetera, et cetera, things will change. So I do expect uh, recommendations to fluctuate from the province and the government. Us as doctors hear about the implementation and the rollout of the vaccine at the same time the patients do. 
So we don't have prior knowledge, unfortunately. So right now we are trying to contact all our over 80 people, 80 years old, and try and help them obtain vaccines, register, pre-register, work through the system with computers. Hopefully they can find a grandkid or an, a ch- an, ad- an adult child who is computer savvy. Let's bring in Dr. Timothy Sly. The other big question is, so we have holidays coming up. We have people over 80 who are, you know, desperate to see their family. So when is it safe? After How long after a first dose can you hug your grandchildren? Oh, you know, Libby, that's what I've been uh, worried about. I see these these uh, 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 declarations of of joy and and uh, euphoria. The moment the needle comes out the arm, you see people sort of uh, leaping through the dew laden grass in 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 relief. But this is a problem. This is a major problem. Uh, it's going to be at least a couple of weeks before they actually the vaccine generates that kind of protection that even with one dose that, that we're hoping for. So it's far too soon to start letting down the guard. And even with the second dose, I mean, remember, these are, these are not the polio or the MMR-type vaccines, which confer something like a, a lifetime protection. Think of this more closely to something somewhere between the tetanus vaccine, which is about 10 years, or the rabies, maybe a year or two, or the influenza, which is maybe a year if we're lucky, or common cold, if, not that we have a vaccine for that. But that's the kind of thing. It's not 100%. It's not a lifetime. And it takes at least two, maybe three weeks to reach uh, the kind of protection that we're hoping for. Dr. Kingstone, is that what you're telling your patients? I'm assuming they're asking oh, absolutely. you. Um, so I had the vaccine because I got it because of my, uh, my, my, my being on staff at the hospital and doing patient care. So I got my vaccine, two doses, in, in late January. My wife just got her first. So I could go out now, theoretically, and be immune. But I could also contract the virus and bring it home to her. So you're not. So we better make sure that if there is a grandfather and grandmother who want to hug, as you say, and they sure should be able to, their grandchildren and their own children, that both the grandparents have had the vaccine. And what about... And then we assume they will be immune. Um, it is likely, but I, you know, I defer to the experts. Uh, I still think we must be, as, as, as the other doctors just mentioned, very much on our guard and still very careful with regard to our, particularly at our age group, exposure. So what should people be watching for as we're heading, hopefully, into this new period? Uh, I think the, the watchword is um, if we are beginning to release some of the precautions and beginning to look forward to uh, meeting other people, this is when we need to double up on the individual protection, particularly with the variants around. In other words, make sure the mask is a good one. Make sure it's worn properly. Even double masking is not a bad idea. Keep the distancing going. So if we balance it, you've got to balance it out there. If we're going to get back with other people, Let's keep the protection even better than it has been before, because these variants are going to nip us in the rear end. Epidemiologist Dr. Timothy Sly at Ryerson University and Dr. Robert Kingstone of Forest Hill Family Health. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, AstraZeneca's vaccine gets the go-ahead for people 65 and older. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Tuesday began with some big news on the COVID-19 vaccine front, starting with a reversal by the National Advisory Panel on the AstraZeneca vaccine, saying it may now be used on people 65 and over. The decision came down as a growing number of European countries were pausing their use of the AstraZeneca vaccine because of reports of a small number of blood clots in AZ shot recipients. At the same time, members of the province's independent science table joined the Ontario Hospital Association in declaring that we are in the midst of a third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. We were also watching day two of the vaccine rollout for people 80 and over after a few glitches on the booking website during the launch on Monday. That same day, Tuesday, Libby spoke with top geriatrician Dr. Samir Sinha to get his take on all of these issues. I think overall it went uh, reasonably well. I think uh, I think people were just frustrated that they had to wait so long to actually get this this long anticipated website and hotline running. But you know, overall, I think that while some people reported glitches and and there were some some issues, I think the ministry said that they worked through those. I mean, I found my own glitch on Friday when it when the basic URL wasn't even working. Uh, so uh, either way, I think the ministry has been very responsive. And the good news is, I think it was something where 90,000 appointments were made, first and second appointments. Um, And that's really good. It tells us that, you know, people are signing up um, and that while the system could be a bit better, um, you know, it's working and it's getting people their opportunity to get a shot of hope. Let's turn to uh, the AstraZeneca decision out today. What is your take on that? No, I think this is, I think this is a completely, you know, expected situation where uh, people have to remember that when Health Canada first approved the AstraZeneca vaccination, you know, they approved it on the basis that it was safe in people of all ages um, above the age of 18. So that there was never any questions about this vaccine safety from all the data that we had already. The key was for Health Canada, they said that they understood that with some what we call non-clinical trial data, some what we call real-world data, that it was being used quite effectively in older people in the UK. They just weren't part of a study. NASI, when they made their decision, they were just looking at the original trial evidence. And the sad thing is in many trials that are done, uh, clinical trials around vaccines, they often don't include a lot of older people. And that was a limitation of the AstraZeneca trial. They didn't have enough older people to say definitively how how effective is it in them compared to younger people? I think what we're seeing overall now is that in many countries around the world where it's been used for older people, that indeed it actually is showing the same level of benefit in that it's basically not causing uh, anybody to be hospitalized or die. And while it's been unfortunate that we've heard um, some concerns around you know, blood clots, for example, and some complications related to the vaccine, the key is that for all the scientific reviews that are being done by the World Health Organization and everything, you know, they're saying that 
30 reported cases of blood clots out of 5 million people who've gotten this vaccine so far. Um, that's actually less than what you'd actually normally expect um, just in general from a population. So so the key is when you hear something, the, the question immediately is, is this because of the vaccine or is this just something that would have happened by coincidence? And right now, there doesn't seem to be any clear evidence to say that the vaccine itself is not safe, um, is, is, is dangerous. And that's why I'm glad that we now have another opportunity for people to be able to get access to another vaccine that we know will prevent hospitalizations and death um, in people of all ages above the age of 18. Before we go quickly, you are working on a plan to get vaccines to people who are housebound, right? Absolutely. So in the city of Toronto right now, um, I can just say that uh, for those people who can't get out of their homes, uh, who often have to receive care only in their homes, uh, we've been keeping an eye on how do we make sure that for those individuals, we can get a vaccine to them. So there's a lot of great work that's happening, uh, huge collaborations between the University Health Network, Toronto Paramedic Services, our local uh, home care providers, primary care providers who are working on a good strategy. I'm happy to say we've been doing some successful pilots to kind of work out the cold chain, the delivery models, all these things, because this is hugely resource intensive. But um, the good news is, is that we're going to be making sure that those who are homebound in the city of Toronto will absolutely not be left behind if they want a vaccine at home. Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Mount Sinai and the University Health Network Hospitals in Toronto. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. We all know about the devastation COVID-19 caused in Ontario's long-term care homes. It is mostly now in the past as a result of COVID-19 vaccinations. But what is the best way to move forward and rebuild? Some stakeholders are demanding national standards, not an easy ask given that health is a provincial responsibility. Others are focused on the fact that for-profit homes had the worst outcomes during the pandemic and they want to eliminate them. Donna Duncan is CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, which represents 70% of the province's homes, which are for-profit. She's come out with four recommendations and shared her insights with Libby on Wednesday. We've crunched a lot of data, and, and because we have the privilege of serving homes across all ownership models, we've had the benefit and insights of looking at the data. And, and I, I will be straight that our data don't bear out the issue around ownership, um, but we recognize that there are those who, who are just going to disagree. And there are things that we all agree on. And so we really are focused on working with all of our membership uh, members, regardless of ownership, on what are those things we all agree on? And let's, let's work on those because those are the fundamentals. Uh, so stabilizing our health, uh, human resources, our staffing pools, expediting the capital redevelopment, looking at standards and performance monitoring and outcomes in a really thoughtful way that, that, uh, gets us to better quality care and outcomes rather than just uh, looking at sort of punitive inspections and and compliance. Let's look at what are we measuring and, and how do we get quality? And then uh, let really me let, build- let me jump in on on that one for a minute, because that's mm-hmm. something that uh, many, many people underline. And uh, what they're saying is that 
a big problem part of the problem is that there's no enforcement there's no consequence uh first of all the inspections are pretty you know scarce on the ground now and the homes get a warning about it but also even if they're in violation there's no consequence the things don't get fixed so uh what is the punitive aspect that you think isn't useful there there doesn't seem to be a punitive aspect yeah and and i think that 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 really is a good point it, because we've got a process that doesn't actually correct things and so how do we move to something that's more about quality improvement and what are what are some of the aspects if if you're not able to meet the the, the quality standards and what are the right quality standards and and then let's focus on how we correct them how are we going to fix them and what are the consequences if people don't have you uh, costed these recommendations? I'm assuming that it's all taxpayer funded. Uh, no, actually, for the redevelopment, uh, I don't think people realize uh, the homes, whether you're a nonprofit home or a private home, the, the upfront development of a home, the home has to own their own property. No, I, uh, I understand that. I mean, for your four recommendations oh, altogether. Oh, recommendations. Yeah. Not, not entirely. We're working with the government right now in, in trying to figure out what, what the map looks like. Uh, it's not cheap. Uh, but we believe our seniors are, are worth it. And quite honestly, we haven't had meaningful investments in our sector for the last 30 years. Uh, the government to date, uh, and we have seen uh, meaningful investments through COVID. So we've had about $5 billion either invested already or committed in, in investments. So it's $1.75 billion on capital, $1.9 billion towards that for our care uh, but, you know, we're, we're going to need more on capital and we're going to need more on staffing uh, because it's, it's going to be about getting more people to work in long-term care and making sure that we're paying them properly and that we have more full-time staff as well. And, and you're saying that, that the need to uh, have profit for shareholders isn't getting in, uh, in the way of any of that? Yeah, all of our homes are, are, are regulated and, and funded exactly the same. Uh, what are uh, the, the way the, the financing works for those, those for-profit homes? So our nonprofits will fundraise and they'll get mortgages and they'll, they'll use uh, funds to pay off their mortgages. Our private homes will get mortgages and they will also borrow money from other people. Donna, that was, sorry to interrupt. We're almost out of time. That was yeah. a yes or no question. <laughs> I, 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 wish, I wish, you know, no one profits from care and nobody should profit from care at all. Donna Duncan, CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Ken in Hamilton phoned to tell us he had called to book his COVID vaccine on the day the provincial portal launched. 
I uh, called up this morning, got my uh, appointment, and when I checked, I asked for two things. I asked for the AstraZeneca or the uh, Pfizer. I was told that uh, they didn't. They couldn't tell me that. They, when they went to book the second appointment, they said to me that my uh, second appointment was four months down the road. Olive in Port Coburn called about her experience booking a COVID vaccine. I had my appointment this morning. I finally got through after two and a half hours and then um, went through all the information, telling them where I lived. And apparently there's not going to be a, a place where I live, a location. But that's, I was in the paper. And so I've got booked into the nearest town for March the 31st. Wow. Okay, well, that's a couple of weeks hence. And where is the closest one? Closest about 10 miles. Anyway, I've got my appointment, so that's the main thing. And you have a way to get there. Yes, I do. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Tracy in Hamilton, who phoned with an observation about the COVID vaccine booking process for people 80 and over. My biggest concern about this was that they automatically assume that these people over 80 would have text, would have cell phones and computers for email confirmations because you have to have all these confirmation codes for you when you go in and they automatically think that everyone will have someone like a daughter or a friend that may call in for them over 80 maybe that have these you know the the technology to do all of this but not everybody has it so I found that a little disturbing and I think that would be overwhelming for people that are calling in that on their own like say my mother. Now, there is a hotline to call for those 80 and over and those 75 and older starting Monday who don't have Internet access or someone to book an online appointment for them. It's 1-888-999-6488. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.